This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. So, do you want to be a star in the new year? Do you want to try your hand at theater, acting, commercials? Maybe for you, maybe for someone in your family. This lady can help. Her name is Lisa London. She's a casting director who's helped launch the careers of Jennifer Aniston, Brad Pitt, Miley Cyrus, and even Jonah Hill. Sidebar on Jonah Hill. Are you watching stuff? on Netflix. That's so good. We'll have to talk about that in a little while. But first, let's get back to theater and Miss Lisa London. How does someone get to be a casting director on this level? That's a great question. You know, actually, I am Hollywood, I guess you would say, Hollywood royalty in the sense that my father was a director and his name was Jerry London. And he was a director that was one of the most sought-after television directors in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And I grew up on sets with him, but he directed shows like Brady Bunch and Partridge Family and Six Million Dollar Man and Kojak and Rockford Files. And so I loved going to sets and had the best time talking to actors. And during my college, summer colleges and all of that, I would work as a production assistant for my dad on his projects. And what happened is one year after I graduated, he was doing a pilot and he let me sit in on the casting sessions. And during that time, I was very much that those casting directors said, well, what do you think? And I said, oh, this actor is really good. She, no, not so much. Oh, those two people would be really great together. And three months later, they offered me a job. Wow. And that that's where I've been my entire career because obviously they thought I had an eye for talent and Obviously, I do. (laughs) Obviously, you do. So tell us about some of the people you chose. What part does a casting director play? Like, you get a call from the studio, and the studio hires you to put the cast together? How does it work? Well, I get a call from either a studio, a network, a producer, a director, and they say, okay, we want you to read our script, and we want you to cast our project. So then our job as casting directors is to find talent for the project, and we do that by collaborating with producers and directors to find the best actors for the roles. So you're a casting... Director. Director. That's different than like an agent. Right, because agents and managers represent talent. So we don't do that. We don't represent anybody, right? We find the talent from agents and managers and in all kinds of different places depending on what we're casting. I can imagine that when you're watching movies and television shows sometimes, it might be frustrating because in your head you're saying, oh, I wouldn't have cast her. I would have cast her. (laughs) That can happen sometimes. And sometimes (laughs) if you watch them and say, oh my God, that's an amazing cast. (laughs) You know, for sure. Wow. So here you are, you're new, you're young, you're fresh, but it's in your blood. You grew up with it. You grew up around it. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you remember like the first person you cast that went on to become famous? Yeah, I'm going to say I cast Jennifer Aniston in, uh, well, two things, funny enough. I cast her in a movie called Leprechaun, 
when, uh, which was very early in her career. She had already done a series and a couple other things. The Leprechaun was her first feature. But then we cast her in a sketch comedy series for Fox called The Edge. And so it was a sketch comedy show, and it was with Julie Brown. It was with Wayne Knight, who went on to do Seinfeld. It, it was with Tom Kenny, who ended up being the voice in SpongeBob. So it had this really great cast, and we cast Jennifer in that, and that was before friends also. Did you ever get like friendly with these people? They're like, hey, you know, you cast me or in my first big thing and, you know, there's a bond formed or no, it's just work. You know, it varies. I have to say that varies on what the project is. I definitely would say I'd try, you know, more in the the last number of years to keep relationships with people. I did at the time, but, you know, it just depends what happens. You know, some people, if they go on to have huge successes and go on uh, to have their careers, so if we don't cross paths, you know, it doesn't always happen. But I definitely would say I would, would try... Uh, no, I wouldn't say I try. I would say I definitely like to keep relationships with actors for sure. Mm-hmm. I really love actors. I love helping actors. But it really depends on the situation and right. what happens, you know. Did you ever feel like, oh, my God, I gave them the best role of their life and I never heard from them again? <laughs> You make me laugh. Oh, my God. Uh, Can I take the fifth? No. Oh, my God. Well, you know, look, the Hannah Montana journey was a definite one. You know, we we spent six months casting that. We, We were hired to find the next star for the Disney Channel, and we did, you know, but we had to weed through a lot of tapes and things like that. And because at that time it was VHSs, remember, mm-hmm. nowadays you get links and it's so much simpler. But in those days you had VHSs. So, you know, we worked really hard on that show to find the next star. And we found, you know, Miley. And it was a process. It would, You know, when something becomes successful, people think, oh, that happened overnight. Right. But no, we, she had a lot of auditions and a lot of callbacks. My partner and I saw that she had that star quality, that sparkle. We knew there was something special about her to play the superstar in The Girl Next Door. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, but did we get, like, the accolades at that time (laughs) or later? It doesn't always happen that way, but whatever. We know what we did, and that's what's important, right? Right. And you had the eye not only for Jennifer Aniston, but for Brad Pitt. What did you cast him in? Well, funny enough, um, you know, he had done a few things, but little things. But I cast him in an episode of this show called Freddy's Nightmares. He was a guest star role. And I have my original notes from him. And I said, you know, so cute. Going to be a star. Good Mm. actor. You know, I just saw it. I have my original paper for with all my notes for that. That's so cool. Put that in a frame. That's wonderful. I know. I also at that time, but I didn't get, he didn't get cast. Funny enough, he was 14. Um, I read Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh. But he didn't get a, he didn't get cast in that, in one of the episodes. But I said the same thing, star quality, you know, just, yeah. It's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> so now you're going to help the rest of us because you have written from start to stardom, the casting director's guide for actors. Talk to all the people who might want to break into this industry. What should they do? 
You know, you should definitely get my book. Um, and the thing about my book is it's the 411 guide sort of on the business of acting. So it tells you how to get discovered, things you can do, how to get an agent and manager, how do you take a good headshot and resume, make your resume. And it's got the keys to successful self-taping, you know, what your mindset has to do with acting. It's a really great book that I wrote to help actors. And, yeah, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on my website, which I'm updating from starttostardom.com. So I'm very excited about it because it's a book that a lot of people have used and said, oh, my God, I got an agent. Oh, I booked my first job. You know, so I'm very happy about that. That's beautiful. Talk to the moms who are maybe driving their kids around to auditions and things. Okay, well, the moms, the main thing I would say to parents is you are there to support your kids, you know, who have this dream to be actors. The book's a great resource for them also, for parents, for actors, any age. And I really feel like for parents, the best advice I can tell them is you're there to support them. Don't coach your kids. (laughs) That's one thing I feel is super important, not to coach your kids, because then when they come in or they read for a cast director, producer, director, they tend to be more robotic, like they can't change it up when they're given direction. So I think it's very important for them not to coach their kids, but, you know, just to help them know the lines. But the main thing on that is you're there to support and guide your child. And that's what I think is the most important thing for parents when your kids want to do this. All right, Miss Lisa London, daughter of Jerry London. How cool is that? What What else do our listeners need to know? I would say that anybody who wants to be an actor, you know, you have to, you go for it. And the most important thing is to learn and be the best actor you can be and focus on the craft of acting. You know, don't worry about, oh, I really want to win an Academy Award someday. Focus should be on being the best actor that you can be because that will happen when it's the right project, the right time, you know, all of that. So my whole most important thing is if it's your dream and it's your passion, you know, you focus on a craft of acting and being the best actor you can be. And it's a long haul, you know. This is a, not a sprint. It's a marathon. So you have to be in it for the long haul and really persist and work hard at it. All right. From start to stardom.com. That's the place we go, right? Yes. Or you can um, reach out to me on social media on my Instagram, which is at Lisa London Casting. If people DM me there, send me a message. I will totally, I, I respond to those. That's Lisa London. I just love her. And I'm following her now on Instagram. And maybe you'd like to follow her too. Her book from start to to stardom, the casting director's guide for aspiring actors and break a leg. So we didn't get to talk about how she helped uh, launch Jonah Hill's career, but Jonah Hill is having a fabulous career. And he's also being very clear about his struggles and his mental health in a new Netflix documentary called Stutz, S-T-U-T-Z. Stutz is actually Jonah Hill's therapist. And Jonah kind of turns the tables on him and puts the camera on him, on his therapist 
podcast and ask the questions because this guy Stutz is such an interesting dude. So Stutz is the documentary. I watched it once. I'm going to watch it again because it has really valuable tools, really valuable, simple, valuable tools about how to practice good mental hygiene. And I wish, as we are in the holiday season, that I had nothing but, you know, shiny, gingerbready things to share with you today. But I do want to take a look at celebrating this season of joy and happiness when there's struggles in the family, be it mental health, depression, alcoholism, drug abuse. So many people in absolute shock this week after Stephen Twitch Boss, the DJ for the Ellen DeGeneres show, took his life at 40 years old. He brought so much love to so many. A dancer that rose to fame on So You Think You Can Dance and then just won everybody's hearts on The Ellen Show, had a beautiful family, and uh, he took his own life. It's it's shocking. I guess what I want to do in presenting our next guest, Judy Mandel, who wrote a memoir called White Flag, and it's about her relationship and her journey with her niece, who had substance abuse disorder. What I want to do with this piece is just put out the call today that let's all reach out to somebody we know who could be struggling. So often um, people mask their symptoms, and that's what makes things so shocking. But yet, maybe you have a sixth sense or a feeling or a hunch. Maybe we can just all agree to reach out to somebody and try to be a compassionate space. And if you don't know anyone who is dealing with a difficult issue this holiday season, maybe we can just take our compassion to the roadways or take our compassion to the deli line or just do all we can to fill the world with a little more kindness this time of year. With the intention of helping others, Judy Mandel generously shares her story in her new memoir. The book is White Flag. It is a personal story about my niece who suffered from substance use disorder. You know, much like anyone with with a loved one who has substance use disorder, it's hard to know what to do and what, what you can and can't do. You know, certainly over the holidays, it's difficult. You know, do you invite them to dinner? Do you, you know, go to where they are? Do you, you know, meet them where they are? What do you allow in your home? Those kinds of things are are very difficult to to parse out. Right. So give us some direction. And how did you find your way through this landscape? We were separated by uh, miles. So I was in Connecticut. She was in Kentucky. And really what I wanted to do was just make sure she was safe. And that is what I would think anyone wants to do with their loved one is make sure they're safe. But they, you also need the boundaries for your, your own safety and your own mental health and your family. So there's there's that balance between what you can and, and can't do. I mean, for me, I found over the holidays, you know, when this happened, that she was homeless. So the first thing I wanted to do was find her a place to sleep. Actually, that's where the title of the book comes from, White Flag, because when the weather gets inclement, when it's too hot or cold, for people to safely live outside or sleep outside, uh, the shelters have a white flag event. They used to actually raise a white flag, but now it's more digital. So that was how I found a a place for her to sleep over that holiday. And why was that your responsibility? That's a good question. Um, (laughs) Her mother had passed away, and I seem to be the one people turn to in the family. She has a sister 
but she was unable to to help her at that time. She had her own issues going on. She had a father, but her father was out of the picture, really, although he did lend a hand as we got more deeply into the issues that we had. You know, the, the logistical issues especially, you know, where can she go? So why did it become my issue? It Probably I just took it. I, I think that's, that's the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. I found her after two years of not knowing where she was. I found her in prison. Much of the book is our dealing with the prison system and her when she was released and, and what could be done to help her kind of rebuild her life. And understanding where I was in the in her trajectory was was difficult. It was a lot of investigation afterward, understanding more about where we were and, you know, what I could and couldn't do. There are so many families throughout Westchester, the Hudson Valley, the tri-state area and beyond who have experienced this type of devastating loss or or have navigated through this landscape. So I appreciate and understand how difficult it is for you to write the book and share the story. Give us some ideas of things we can do and say during the holiday time if we find that a friend or relative with substance abuse issues is sharing the table with us. I think the, the the safety issue is is paramount, and both for the family and for the person who you know has substance use disorder. I mean, you know, you have to have your own boundaries of what what rules you have. You know, are you going to allow them to come if they're if they're using, or are you not going to allow them to come to the house if they're using? Can you meet them wherever they are just to make sure they're safe? Can you ask them to? I mean, in an extreme especially if you have, you know, a a son or a daughter in your home, can you say, okay, I know you're using, I want you to be safe. Tell me when you're using so I can check on you and make sure you're okay. I mean, that's one of the things you can do. You can say, don't lock your door. You know, I want to be able to come in your room if I need to. You can have naloxone on hand to save their life if you need to. I think the, the harm reduction piece is very important around this time of year. Make sure you don't lose them. Give them another chance to come to their own white flag to understand they need some some help with this. Judy Mandel, so I think the key issue here is a radical acceptance of their addiction. I think so. I think so. You may not be able to stop them. Right. And you certainly, you probably can't do it yourself. And if they won't get other help, you know, just I think meeting them where they are is the only thing you can do. And to be there with what they need. So you had to kind of learn this on the fly? Well, I, you know, I've done a lot of research into the complexities of addiction and understanding that it's just not a weakness. It's not just somebody that wants to use drugs and can't, you know, won't stop. It's brain chemistry. It's, in my case, it was transgenerational trauma through the generations. So there are so many pieces. In, in many cases, there's underlying abuse that happened. For my niece, it was a trifecta of all of that. And understanding that it was very, very difficult to combat this on my own, that, that there, was, there needed to be more help. How would you suggest that people find that help? when they're in this situation? There are some great organizations. Actually, in your area, there's an organization called Truth Farm. That's with a PH farm, P-H-A-R-M, truthfarm.org. They have a lot of resources and information. I would certainly suggest people, you know, visiting their website. There are some other organizations that you can look into. Basically, you have to do your own homework in your area, wherever you live, to see there are a lot of lot more harm reduction organizations now than there used to be. And whether 
you need to point them to clean needles or Suboxone treatment if they're if they want to do that because they have to want to do this. Right. You know, suboxone will, will protect them from an overdose, but also will you know check the craving. It can be a, a big help. Medically assisted treatment can be a big help. And I think we have to count ourselves lucky if the if our loved ones who are suffering with addiction even want to speak to us, right? If they even want to let us in their world, right? Right. And the idea of harm reduction also opens that communication because. They see that you care about them even if they can't stop using right now. They right. see that you care. They, there's been studies done that people that go to need, clean needle exchanges, once they see people are open to talking to them, it's not so shameful, they ask them for more help. And it's the opening the communications that can be that can be vital and can save them. So some of the language might be, I understand that you can't stop using and I love you anyway. Let me help. I understand you can't stop using and I want you to have safe needles or I understand you can't stop using. Can I provide you with naloxone or other medically assisted treatment? We just have to come right out and say it, right? I think so. I think so. And um, I, I think meeting them where they are in their journey is what you have to do, knowing that you may not be able to stop them from using, you may not be able to help them, but you have to reach out in any way you can. And because later on, you'll want to look back if something happens, um, as it did with my niece, you want to look back and know that you did everything you could. Right. And even be grateful for the opportunity, for having Absolutely. an opportunity to do everything you could. Judy Mandel's touching new memoir is called White Flag. Tell me about, Judy, some of the good moments you had when you were able to connect with your niece. It's really strange, but we could even, even while she was in prison, we could have video calls and we could actually laugh about things like we used to. It was, I was, I'm grateful that I had, that they allowed those video calls where I could see her and we could see each other's faces and even things that were going on behind her, like in the video calls, you know, people waving and we had some good laughs at that time. Her humor always came through, even in her text, and I was glad I had that. I gl- I'm glad I had that communication with her for that period of time. How has this changed you? It's changed me in my attitudes towards substance use disorder. Even saying substance use disorder instead of addiction means taking away the stigma and the shame of it, that, you know, this is like looking at someone who has an illness like diabetes. You know, that's, I think, the change that we need. And, you know, making treatment easier to find than the drugs is the other piece of it. Duly noted, substance use disorder, that's the language. It is much better than drug addict, which is just loaded with shame and shame and accusation, right? And it stops people from reaching out. It stops them from communicating. My niece used to disappear when she was using. She didn't want us to be part of that. Mm-hmm. She, you know, once I, when I, found, I found her in a motel and she was using, this was when I was down in Florida where she was living. She wouldn't even open the door because she didn't want, she said, I don't want, I don't want you to see me like this. And that, I think, is the crux of it. They don't, they're, they're ashamed. And when they don't communicate with you, that's why. Right. Nobody wants to have this. 
No. Nobody wants to have this. Substance use disorder, the new language, around a topic that I'm so grateful you have pulled right into the spotlight, Judy Mandel. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know? Thank you. Thanks very much for having me and having this conversation. It means a lot to me. They can check out any more about my book on uh, judymandel.com. It's J-U-D-Y-M-A-N-D-E-L.com. Alrighty. Are you doing anything in your niece's memory? I'm trying to be more of an advocate. I'll be doing a joint event with a, a community recovery center where she used to live down in Florida, along with uh, another organization called Sephra in Florida. That's Judy Mandel doing all she can to spread her valuable message. And part of that message is complete compassion for people who are suffering in whatever way they may be suffering. And also there is help available in your community and beyond. Reach out and keep reaching out until you make the right connection. And of course, you can always call Let It Shine, letitshineonline.com. And we'd be happy to use our resources to connect you to whatever you or the people you love might need. Judy Mandel, already a New York Times bestselling author, she wrote her first memoir called Replacement child, and she is also the author of a book called Asylum, a memoir of family secrets. Judy Mandel, our guest today, I so appreciate you tuning in to Shine On, and our thought for the day is one that I saw all over social media this week. It's attributed to Brad Meltzer, who said, everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind, always. Shine On. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on.